Well, as I indicated earlier this morning, we are actually concluding our Nehemiah sermon series. Um, and, and then next week, we're going to begin a new series entitled Vision 2020. We're going to look at our vision statement. We're going to look at our core values. We're going to pray some big prayers. And we're going to envision what God can do in us and through us. So I'm really looking forward to that series. But if you are visiting with us this morning and you haven't um, been with us, then let me give you just kind of a real brief um, kind of catch you up to speed moment. Um, We've been studying the life of Nehemiah. Okay, Nehemiah um, was the cupbearer to a king. Um, This wasn't just a a, a believing king. This was a pagan king. And Nehemiah gets word um, of the condition of Jerusalem. And when he gets word of this, he hits the ground and he begins to pray fast. He cries out to God and repents of his sin and the sins of the people. And he rises up and he resolves to do something about it. You see, about 150 years before Nehemiah, the walls around Jerusalem were destroyed. The gates were destroyed as well as the temple. And so now the people have returned to, or many people have returned to Jerusalem. And, and yet the walls still lie in ruin. And so Nehemiah goes to the king after about four months, and, and the king asks Nehemiah, what's going on with you? Nehemiah shares his God-given vision with him. And this pagan king gives Nehemiah permission to go to Jerusalem to rebuild those walls and to rebuild those gates. And that's where we're at this morning. Okay, the walls have been rebuilt, the gates have been rebuilt, and what we've looked at throughout this series is this, a rebuilt city would result in a rebuilt people. So the people got to work, they began building those walls and building those gates, um, but yet in the midst of all of this, there were a group of bullies that were trying to get them to stop working, but they did not let the, the bullies stop them, they continued continued to work, and in 52 days, they completed what seemed to be impossible. In 52 days, they rebuilt walls and gates that had been destroyed for almost 150 days. And so this morning, we find ourselves um, seeing Nehemiah. Nehemiah went from rebuilding the city to rebuilding the people. And we're going to see a rebuilt people begin to take place this morning. Our message point this morning is entitled, Responding to the Word of God. Responding to the Word of God. In honor of reading God's Word this morning, I'm going to ask us to stand in just a moment. Okay, um, Ezra, what Ezra is going to do is Ezra is going to um, open up God's Word, and when he opens up God's Word, the people are going to stand. I know we typically don't do that this morning, but it's hard to read that the people stood and us remained seated. It's kind of like, um, I don't know if you remember the, the song, I Stand Amazed, the hymn. Um, you know that song, it starts out, I'm not going to sing it, because if I did, everybody would leave. And so, but I want to read to you the first part of those lyrics, but it goes, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus, the Nazarene, and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How many of you have ever sung that song seated? It's kind of weird, isn't it? To sing about, you know, the glorious 
Savior that we have, singing about I stand amazed and we remain seated. I remember over the years I've done that more times than I can count. So this morning, as we turn to God's Word and read God's Word, let's stand together, okay? And we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 8, and I'm going to read to you the first six verses, and we'll read all of the chapter this morning, but I'm just going to read the first six to start with, okay? And these are the words of the Lord in Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday. In the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Mahasiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Malachi, Hashum, Hashabana, I know I've just butchered those, so forgive me, Zechariah Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And he opened it, all the people stood, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Thank you. You may be seated. Notice our first point this morning. It's this, the people's hunger for the word. We see, first of all, their position in the city. In verse 1, the first part of the, that verse says, and all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. Why did they gather outside of the water gate? Why didn't they gather outside of the fish gate or the dung gate or one of these other gates that surrounded that city? It is believed that it was at the water Water gate that the Gihon Spring would flow into the city of Jerusalem. Doesn't it just make sense that it would be at the place that the water flowed that the Word of God would be read? It would be at the water gate that God's Word would flow from the mouth of Ezra onto the people of God. Now, Ezra was a Jewish scribe and priest. He would return to Jerusalem about 15 years before Nehemiah did. And what Ezra did was Ezra um, helped to prepare the people's heart, helped to get their relationship right with God. And so what Nehemiah and Ezra do is they work together to rebuild the city and to rebuild the people. In verse 3 again, we read, and he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Notice, okay, he did not read the book of the law to them for two minutes or to five minutes or 20 minutes or one hour, but he read from early morning to midday. So that would be from about six o'clock in the morning till noon, six hours He read the Word of God to the people of God. Now, here's the deal. Sometimes you and I, we we have um, 
a little ADD when we read God's Word, don't we? Or when we hear God's Word. We get a little too distracted, don't we? Well, these people were not distracted. They hungered for the Word of God, and they soaked up the Word of God. And that's where we need to get in our relationship with the Lord. We need to get to the point where we hunger and thirst for the Word of God. The people listened because they were hungry for the Word. Until we get hungry for the Word, we will not be able to sit and study and read it like we know that we should. We all know that we should read God's Word. We all know that we should study God's Word. We all know that we need to hide God's Word in our heart. But, but sometimes we become so distracted by the things of this world that we fail to read and treasure God's Word as we need to. I want to share an illustration with you um, from Rabbi Zacharias. He wrote these words. He said, I was ministering in Vietnam in 1971. And one of my interpreters was Hyene Pham, an energetic young Christian. He had worked as a translator with the American forces and was of immense help both to them and to missionaries such as myself. Hyene and I traveled the length of the country and became very close friends before I returned home. We did not know if our paths would ever cross again. Seventeen years later, I received a telephone call. Brother Ravi, the man asked. Immediately, I recognized Hayin's voice. And he soon told me his story. Shortly after Vietnam, Hayin was imprisoned on accusations of helping the Americans. His jailers tried to indoctrinate him against democratic ideas and the Christian faith. He was restricted to communist propaganda in French or Vietnamese. And the daily deluge of Marx and Engels began to take its toll. Maybe, he thought, I've been lied to. Maybe God doesn't exist. Maybe the West has deceived me. So he determined that, he, that when he awoke the next day, he would not pray anymore or think about his faith. The next morning, he was assigned to the dreaded chore of cleaning the, the prison latrines, the toilets, the bathrooms. Nobody would want that either. Um, and as he cleaned out a tin can that was overflowing with toilet paper, his eyes caught what seemed to be English printed on one piece of paper. He hurriedly grabbed it, washed it, and after his roommates had retired that night, he retrieved the paper and read the words, Romans chapter 8. Trembling, he began to read, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. For I am convinced that nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hayen wept. He knew his Bible. And he knew that there was not a more relevant passage for one on the verge of surrender. He cried out to God asking forgiveness, for this was to have been the first day that he would not pray. Evidently, God had other plans. With his tormentors, what his tormentors were using as refuse, the Bible, could not be more treasured Tahian. Oh, that you and I would treasure the Word of God like that. Oh, that we would hunger for God's Word in such a way that if it was taken from us, and even if we found it in a trash can, we would pull it out and clean it up and treasure that Word. And that's what Hain did. Notice the people's posture. When Ezra opened up the Word, the people stood demonstrating their great respect for the Word of God. The Word is living. It is life-giving, 
And it is life-changing, isn't it? Ezra prayed, and Ezra read, and the people responded by saying amen. They responded with an amen because they agreed with that which was being read and spoken over them. The people, they lifted their hands and they prayed. They bowed their heads and they worshiped. Their posture was right, and they demonstrated their great reverence for God's Word. May you and I get to the point where we do that very thing and demonstrate reverence. Not, not, not just because this is another book, but because the words that are within this book are life-giving and life-changing. Notice next, the people's understanding of the Word. And we read in verses 7 and 8, Also, Joshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatiah, Hadiah, Mahaseah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law. While the people remained in their places, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Reading without understanding is futile, isn't it? Ezra did not just read the Word of God for six hours over the people of God, but he helped them to understand that which was being read. Notice that there is a need for spiritual discernment. Throughout this passage of Scripture, multiple times the word understand or understood is mentioned. Why is that? Because Ezra wanted to make sure, as well as the Nehemiah and the other religious leaders, that they understood what was being read. They weren't just words from a page being read to them, but they were life-giving words that were being read to them. Ezra, Nehemiah, and the other religious leaders wanted, wanted God's Word to penetrate deep into their heart and wanted the people to understand it. I could stand before you every single week and I could say, hey, let's turn to Leviticus chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through about verse 15 together. That'll probably be about, you know, 20, 30 minutes worth of reading, um, somewhere in that time frame. And at the end, I could say, amen, you're dismissed. And you know, many of us in this room, we would, we would catch much of those words, and we would allow those words to change us. But there may be some points within those words that we're a little bit confused with. And, and so there may have been some things within the law of the Lord which, which was read to the people of God that the people didn't understand. And so that is why Ezra takes these Levites and these other religious leaders and disperses them amongst the people to help them understand what it is that they had been studying. Ezra did not just read the law, but he would help spell out the law to the people. What qualified Ezra to read from God's Word? What qualified him to be a leader? It's not just what qualified him, but who qualified him. The Lord had set Ezra apart to be a priest. And Ezra took his appointment seriously. He studied and studied and studied to help prepare himself to stand before the people of God. Notice what Ezra 7.10 says. It says, For Ezra has set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Some of your translations say that Ezra determined to study. What was Ezra determined to do? He was determined to study the law of the Lord, 
determined to obey the law of the Lord and determined to teach the law of the Lord. He determined to do all of these things to ensure that God's people could understand that which was being read and preached to them. You know, I've shared this with you before, but you know, I've always struggled in school. When I was young, I was in elementary um, school. I was in resource classes and intermediate um, school and junior high and, and high school. I was in an intermediate classes. You know, when I got into college, I had to take some developmental classes in both English and math to help prepare me for the actual um, algebra and, and English classes that I had to take. But I didn't let those deficiencies stop me. You know, I graduated, I got my master's, and now I'm working on my next degree. I don't say that to you because I have learned the art of learning. I say that to you because I probably have to study harder than a lot of people. It takes me a while to prepare these messages and to share these messages with you. Ezra was committed to the Word of God. He studied and he studied and he studied. You and I can learn much from men like Ezra who took God's Word seriously, who took the preaching of God's Word seriously and the teaching of God's Word seriously. The thing that I love about our growth group leaders here at Friendship is I know that they take God's Word seriously before they ever teach it to you. Why do they take it seriously? Because they know that they're going to one day be held accountable for how they have taught the Word to you. I know one day I'm going to be held accountable for how I taught the Word to you. Ezra knew that one day he would be held accountable for how he handled this Word and taught this Word. So it is important that you and I... um, have a spiritual discernment when it comes to God's Word. It's also important that we have a right understanding of God's Word. Ezra did not just want them to understand the Word, but he wanted to make sure that they had a right understanding of the Word. In a world that we live in today, it seems like every time that we turn the television on and there's a, a different preacher um, preaching, that, that oftentimes we listen and we're like, I don't think that's what that Scripture is actually saying. If you've ever been there with me, you get that. Um, We've got a lot of people that are standing in pulpits that are not getting this word right, and they're preaching it and they're teaching it. You and I need to make sure that we get this right and that we preach it and we teach it and we do it and correctly handle it as we're instructed to do. Notice the next point. It's this. The people rejoiced in the Lord. The people rejoiced in the Lord. In verses 9 through 12, we read, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. The people rejoiced in the Lord because of their understanding of the word. They rejoiced, but before they rejoiced, notice their their response when they heard the word. We just read in this passage of Scripture that the people wept. 
The people wept. The Word of God was doing its intended work when it was being read over the people. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, we read, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God's Word is profitable, isn't it? It's profitable for reproof. It is profitable for correction. When, when was the last time you read from God's Word and God's Word corrected you? And you allowed God's word to correct you. When was the last time that happened? When was the last time that you opened God's word and you read the truth of God's word and you realized that you were not living your life the way that you um, know that you need to be living your life and God's word convicted you? If you can't name that last time, it means one of two things. Number one, that you're living a perfect life. Or number two, you're not reading God's word so that in such a way that it will change you. No, God's word is intended to reprove. It is intended to correct. You know, I, um, none of us like correction, do we? None of us like discipline. If you're a parent or a grandparent or a teacher, you don't like giving out discipline and correction either, do you? Why? Because it hurts. It hurts to receive it and it hurts to give it. But here's the reality. When we read God's Word, God's Word will cut like a knife within us, doesn't it? The day that the people heard God's Word read over them, which would have been the first time in a long time that these people sat under the teaching of God's Word and the reading of God's Word, it cut like a knife within them. They were broken when the Word was read, but their brokenness would ultimately lead to a revival. Has that ever happened in your life? Have you ever ever, um, allowed God's Word to revive you and to strengthen you and, and to make you into a better man or a better woman or a better student or a better child? Now, I know that that has happened in my life, and I pray that it's happened in your life as well. Notice Ezra's plea for celebration. That kind of seems odd to me. You know, the, the people were, were distant from God. They really were. The people had not been reading or studying God's Word like they should. But yet, Ezra tells the people, today isn't a day to mourn. Today is the day to celebrate. God's Word caused the people of God to see the ugliness of their hearts, but it also caused them to see the beauty of God. God's Word does convict and lead us to repent, but it also brings us great joy, doesn't it? Joy in knowing that we have been forgiven by our glorious Savior. In Jeremiah 15, 16, Jeremiah wrote these words, Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. In Psalm nineteen eighteen, the Psalm nineteen eight, the psalmist wrote these words The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. One pastor shared, Friends, it is as wrong to mourn when God has forgiven us as it is to rejoice when sin has conquered us. Read that again. Friends, it is as wrong to mourn when God has forgiven us as it is to rejoice when sin 
has conquered us. The God who convicts us of sin is the same God who is the God of grace and the God of mercy. In verses 11 and 12, again, we read, So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Our knowledge of our sin should never be bigger than our knowledge of Jesus, our Savior. We are great sinners, and He is a great Savior. You and I should never allow our past mistakes to control our current state. The past is the past. Yesterday is the yesterday. Today, though, today is a new day, and we are to celebrate this new day because of the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. How many of you have ever allowed the guilt from your past mistakes to dictate today and your future. I think all of us have been there, right? And all of us have been at that point when we realize, man, I messed up. In fact, I messed up so bad that I can't carry on. Well, that's so, so untrue. Because we serve a glorious Savior who has promised us that regardless of what we've done, regardless how big or how small our sins is, he'll take our sin and remove it as far as the east is from the west if we cry out to him and ask him to forgive us. We serve a glorious Savior, folks. Stop living in the past. Stop letting yesterday's sin dictate today and tomorrow. Turn to the Lord, seek his forgiveness, and then get over it and move on. Well, you may be like, well, man, yesterday's sin has consequences for today. You know, when I get a speeding ticket, which I've gotten a couple in my life, okay, you know, I, obviously I've broken the law and, and you know, um, I can ask God to forgive me of that and God will forgive me of that, but there's still consequences, right? I still have to pay that fine or I still have to go to defensive drive and I still have to do whatever it is, okay? There may be consequences, but, but, but that doesn't, that shouldn't prevent us from living under the banner of God's grace. Yes, you may have messed up to the point where there's consequences, but don't let those consequences dictate your relationship with the Lord and your relationship with others. Notice our our final point this morning is this, the people's obedience to the Word. In In verse 13, we read these words. On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra, the scribe, in order to study the words of the law. I love this here. The leaders assemble. Why did the leaders assemble? The leaders assembled to sit under the teaching of Ezra so that they could learn this word, so that they then could apply this word in their daily lives as well as through their own teaching as they instructed those that they had influence over. Leaders have a special need to understand and walk in God's word. Their ignorance or disobedience affects far more than themselves. It affects everyone they have an influence on, one writer shared. As leaders, we, we are as I said, are held at a higher standard than everyone else. And folks, you have leadership, okay? You may not teach a class. You may, never, you may not stand and preach the Word, but you still are a leader. 
you still have influence over others. You have influence over those in your home. You have influence over those um, in, at your places of employment. You have influence. Take this word, know this word, learn this word, apply this word to those that you have influence over. We see these leaders come together and they read and they study the word to make sure that they understand the word in order to correctly teach and apply it to those they have influence over. Notice this. The next thing we see is the keeping of the law. In verses 14 through 18, we read, And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. And they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof. And in their courts, and in the courts of the house of God, and in the square at the water gate, and in the square at the gate of Ephraim, and all the assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths and lived in the booths, for from that for the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. The people read the word, and they applied the word. Certain things were called for in the law that the people had not been doing for hundreds of years. And when they heard that word, they were brought under such conviction that they realized, hey, we aren't doing everything the word instructs us to do. And so they began to do what the Word instructed them to do. In the book of James, we read these words in verses 20 through, two, two, through 25. But be doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You and I are to be doers of the word, not just hearers. We can't just sit here week in and week out and hear the word and not do the word. We need to be doers of the word. We need to take that which we learn here, that which we learn in our growth groups, that which we learn throughout the week, in our personal study or wherever it might be, and we need to apply it to our lives. We need to do it. We need to do it and stop just hearing it. Our final point this morning is this, the repetition of the people. We see here in verse 18, and day by day, day by day, they gathered around the word, they heard the word, and then they went out and did the word. How often should we do the word day by day? God's people would experience a revival as a result of returning to the word of God. We see that as we go. We're not going to go any further into the book of Nehemiah. But if you want to continue to read through the book of Nehemiah, you will see how the people responded to the word and they experienced revival in their lives. God's word, this word right here, Okay. God's word convicted the people. 
God's Word changed the people. God's Word empowered the people. God's Word brought joy into the lives of the people as well. What did you allow God's Word to do in you and through you this past week? Did God's Word convict you of sin? I'm a great sinner, and I'll, I'll tell you right now, God's, I did not allow God's Word to convict me enough this week. Did God's Word convict you of sin? Did it change the way you love your spouse, love your kids, love um, others? Did it change the way you operate your business? Did it bring you joy this week? If it didn't, what is going to enable that to happen this coming week? How can you let God's Word do that? Yes, yes, it needs to convict us when we are in a wrong, but it also needs to bring great joy within us as well. We don't, we don't serve a dead God, do we? We don't serve a, a, a Savior who was buried in a tomb and remains in that tomb. Now we serve a living God. We serve a living Savior. And our lives need to demonstrate that Christ is alive in us so that other people can get a glimpse of who Christ is through us. What are you going to do this week to allow God's Word to change you? I pray that if you don't read it, that you'll start reading it. I pray that if you don't apply it, you'll start applying it. But we know that God's Word is powerful. And we're going to look in a couple of weeks again at the Word as we look at our core values. But this Word should change us every single time that we read it. You know, you, know, you may be here this morning and, and, and you're like, when I read the Bible, I really I, I don't get much out of it. Well, there could be a couple of reasons for that. Number one, you may not be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and so you, so you don't have the Holy Spirit who's, who's leading you and teaching you as you read the Word. You may be here this morning, and, and you're like, I read the Bible. I know that I'm a Christian, but I just have a hard time comprehending the Bible. Well, you know what? That's why leaders are brought into our life, to help us comprehend God's Word if we struggle with a particular passage or a particular book. That's why we have leaders in this church to help us with that. If you struggle with God's Word, turn to one of the leaders in this church to help you with that. Send me an email. Call me up on the phone. If I don't have an answer right away, I'll say, hey, give me a little bit and I'll call you back or I'll respond to your email and I'll do my best to answer your question. You know, it happens all the time where people send me emails asking me for, for help. And, and, you know, I count that a privilege to be able to, to do that. So you may be here and you're struggling with a particular passage or, or whatever in God's Word, and you need somebody to help you. And that's okay. Don't, don't be ashamed of that. That's all right. The people of God, man, they needed people to help them understand God's Word. And so Ezra taught. The other religious leaders taught and instructed. And guess what? We read in this passage of Scripture, they understood Let's get to the point where we understand God's Word 
and apply God's Word to our life. You may be here this morning, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to, to come and make the greatest decision that you could ever make. You may be here this morning, and Lord's leading you to make Friendship Baptist Church your church home. We'd love for you to do that. You may be here this morning, and um, you need to just spend the next few minutes as we um, enter into this time of invitation just praying. Praying because you haven't been studying God's Word the way that you know that you need to. Or, or you haven't allowed God's Word to change you. You've heard the Word, you've read the Word, but you haven't become a doer of the Word. And so that may be how you need to pray this morning. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And if there's a decision you need to make, you come. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the promise of your Word. Thank you for the truth of your Word. Thank you, Father, that your Word does indeed change us. Father, it brings life to us. Yes, it convicts us, but it also brings great joy in knowing what you have done for us. We know that we are great sinners that have been saved by our great Savior. And so, Father, we rejoice in that this morning. We rejoice in knowing that you reached down out of heaven and you came and you dwelt among us and you provided a way for us to enter into a personal relationship with you. If we call on you, if we cry out to you, and if we ask you to forgive us, Father, your word is clear that you will indeed forgive us. So thank you this morning, Father, for your word. Father, as we enter into this time of invitation, if there's someone here this morning that does not have a relationship with you, I pray that you'll draw them unto yourself, Father. If you're leading someone or a family, Father, to come and make friendship their church home, Lord, I pray that they will come. But Lord, I pray that all of us over the next few minutes, Lord, will just allow you to do a work in our lives and that we will respond to your word the way that we know that we need to. First, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you need to come this morning, trust in Jesus, you come. If you need to join this church, you come. Otherwise, I'm going to ask everyone to just bow their head and close their eyes for the next few minutes. Our instruments are going to play. And let me just invite you to join me as we pray together. Let's pray for God to just reveal to us how he would have us respond to his word this week. Let's pray.